0: Reach out. I'll be there from the fabulous Four Tops, the Motown legends. And we've got a special guest on the line. He's an independent recording artist, musician, producer, composer and college instructor who has shared the stage, worked in the studio and behind the scenes with some iconic Motown legends, including the Four Tops. The Temptations, and our Queen of Soul, Miss Aretha Franklin. Recent projects include Back to Class to benefit the music program for Detroit Public Schools and the Hitsville documentary, The Making of Motown. He's got some new projects he's going to be talking about. Welcome drummer, percussionist, producer, and educator, Mr. Drew Schultz, to the R&B Showcase. How you doing these days?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I've been holding on by the uh, seat of my pants for the last year and a half during covid Um, but I'm thankful to be slowly coming out the other end in one piece. And I hope you and all of our listeners are as well.
0: Well, talking to a lot of musicians and and even DJs and recording artists in the last, you know, few months, everybody's been saying the same thing, how COVID really changed things for the entertainment world, practically shut everything down. Even Broadway was shut down in New York, brother. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I'm looking over your resume. What an impressive resume for a young man who wasn't even born when Motown ruled the airwaves. Tell us about Motown, this music. What is it about this music that attracted you to it at your young age? Well, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a gradual process. You know, I grew up in a musical
1: family. My grandmother was a professional piano teacher. My mom also uh, was a piano and voice accompaniment major in college. And so she was in a band um, in Cleveland. And my dad played guitar. And so my mom's band played a lot of Motown Material and I found myself gravitating to that, but the real linchpin for me with Motown was the documentary film Standing in the Shadows of Motown mm-hmm. about the funk brothers yes and um, for those who may may not know the Funk Brothers were the house recording band for Motown Records they played all the instruments on all these songs by the Supremes and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas and Stevie and Marvin and Smokey etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and there was something about watching musicians who were in their golden years you know who were kind of further on in age getting back together and that camaraderie and that friendship and love between the musicians was there and they were performing at such a high standard uh it was just incredibly inspiring for me and i remember being like i want to be like them when i grow up i clearly remember that feeling um and from then on it was just a, a, a snowball effect
0: Now, you're also a musician. What instruments do you play, Drew?
1: Um, I started on drums. So I took maybe a year of piano lessons when I was real young from my mom. But uh, I would always watch their drummer when they were recording. uh, Excuse me, when they were rehearsing. And so my mom kind of noticed that and put me into drum lessons real early. So drums and percussion, um, I studied all the way through college. Uh, and then I play piano and sing just well enough to kind of write and produce.
0: hmm. Well, I saw you playing a lot of instruments in one of your videos. I think you were playing the piano and the drums and a lot of percussion, you know?
1: Thank you. Yes, yes. I, I'm uh, secretly wanting to learn guitar, that's
0: mm-hmm.
1: somewhere on the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, for right now it just drums, piano and vocals.
0: Didn't really you do some something for Drummer magazine? were didn't you have an article in one of the magazines for drums I did,
1: yeah. I've been a spec writer for Modern Drummer for several mm-hmm. years. So I've written articles on Uriel Jones from the Funk Brothers and Ralph Johnson from Earth, Wind, and Fire, um uh Bubba Bryant from the Temptations band. Mm-hmm. So I have I've been fortunate to uh write quite a few articles
0: mm-hmm. for them. Now, would you say those are some of the drummers that influenced you, or were there any any others to be a drummer?
1: Oh, yes. Um, You know, one of the people who really got it all started in the first place for me was David Garibaldi Mm -hmm. from Tower of Power. Great group. And David Garibaldi was, you know, he was probably the first drummer where the, the, the kind of I'm trying to think about how to say this. David Garibaldi his playing kind of pulled back the curtain for me and made me realize just how much more there was that could be done on the instrument beyond what we normally hear in like stereotypical radio pop hit music. And fortunately,
2: he is an educator. And Mm -hmm. so
0: growing up, I would read David Garibaldi's books
1: and practice out of his drum method books and watch his instructional videos. And I have since taken some Zoom lessons and masterclasses with him. And as a kid, David Garibaldi made me passionate about the idea of teaching as well. Because he's so good at explaining and articulating his ideas from multiple different vantage points that I was lucky to get that kind of geeky music theory passion instilled in me uh, through his playing and his educational material.
0: Well, it's always good, great uh, being. There. I think it all goes together with wanting to pass on your knowledge and stuff to others as an educator. Because I also do this myself. I, I teach television production at a high school, you know, and and teach radio oh, awesome. at a high school. So it kind of goes along with being the personality and being being on air, and um and being that you talked about um, being an instructor. What type of you are? You're, you're an instructor now. You work in education. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So I work. Um, I mean, I teach my own private lessons, and I have my own home studio where I do, you know, lessons in recording and production and drums and music theory and songwriting, all that good stuff. But I also teach at the Detroit Institute of Music Education, wow. DIME. Awesome. And that is a college program through Oakland University mm-hmm. that does bachelor's degrees in performance, songwriting and music business. Okay. And I've been teaching with DIME um, since they started in 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been great. And my kind of go-to description of it is that you know when you're a musician, a lot of times you are getting in front of a crowd, you have to communicate a concept to that crowd through music. And it might you might play fifteen songs about heartache and pain in a blues band mm-hmm. and you're singing those same concepts in multiple different ways and some people love this one song and some people love the next one more Mm -hmm. or don't like that one and and you have to be able to hit it from all these different points and you have to be able to improvise
2: as a Mm -hmm. musician
1: and you have to be able to communicate Mm -hmm. and I feel like all those skills are still what you use in the classroom you're communicating Mm -hmm. you're improvising when a student asks you an unexpected question you are you know all all of it applies So Mm -hmm. to me the process of teaching is not that different than the process of playing music Mm
0: -hmm. now the students that you're working with what age group is it all age groups or younger students or
1: yeah i work with pretty much all age groups
0: Mm -hmm. i've taught lessons as young as eight um you know all the way through
1: college i've had students who were in their 70s i've had uh yeah, high school, middle school, summer camp. That mm-hmm. always joke. Whatever they call me for, I'll do it. <laughs>
0: mm, awesome. Awesome, man. That's fantastic. Now, you started performing professionally as a drummer for Motown Legends, The Four Tops, and your bio says at the age of 19 years old, I mean, wow. How did this come about?
1: Yeah. I. Um, my father was really good about pushing me to be um, proactive about meeting people who I really respected. So when I was in college, I kind of talked my way to meet the Four Tops drummer, uh, Benjamin Corbett. He was the drummer before me, people called him Butch. Mm -hmm. Um, A trumpet player named Mark Avon was able to connect connect me with Butch, and I just kind of, I had told him I wanted to take lessons from him because I loved his playing, I loved how he approached that music. And Butch was like, well, I don't have time to teach but come on through the soundcheck and we can't hang out and trade drum legs and talk. Mm-hmm. So I went to see the Four Tops play at Carnegie Hall mm-hmm. and sat in on their soundcheck,
2: mm-hmm.
1: met the band, met their musical director, George Roundtree, right. just through the years, mm-hmm. kept in touch. And so when Butch could no longer tour with the band, uh, both he and George Roundtree both kind of pushed me into doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I played my first gig with them on hand percussion
0: at 19, Ooh.
1: Peekskill, New York.
0: Wow, awesome. It must have been great. Fantastic, man. So any other artists you worked with uh, in addition to The Four Tops? I know you mentioned The Temptations and Aretha.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate. I I think that some of my favorite artists who I've worked with are maybe some of the the lesser known, but no lesser talented artists Mm. from the Motown and Soul scene. So I've been fortunate to... Work and perform with people like Melvin Davis, mm-hmm. Pat Lewis, Spider
2: Turner, mm-hmm. Carolyn
1: Crawford, uh, Joe Pep Harris from Undisputed Truth, mm, Chris Clark, uh, the Contours, the Velvetettes, mm-hmm. Martha mm-hmm. and the Vandellas. Although obviously we're getting into bigger names, but J.J. Barnes, um, you know, just so many of these artists are still with us and just unbelievably mm-hmm. uh, talented and. Performing, recording, composing at such a high level, um, but I've been fortunate. I, you know, I've played with. Um, oh, let me think. I played Aretha's funeral services. That was an interesting
0: that gig. That must have been and amazing. That was
1: wonder and Ariana mm. Grande and. Um,
0: now, what did you play with, with I them? I can't we, even we, remember. <laughs> were, you, were you playing drums with, with them or?
1: I was. I was playing timpani and percussion and uh, all sorts of bells and whistles uh, on that stage. Mm-hmm. That was the most people I've ever seen packed into a stage in one gig. <laughs> it was insane. That, um, was,
0: that was quite a show. Wasn't, wasn't Chaka Khan was there too, wasn't she?
1: Shaka Khan, yeah.
0: yeah my Chaka goodness. Khan was there. Now I remember that Mandy show. Stone. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, th- I, I joke that I feel like just that one event caused my performance resume to like triple.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, that was and all over CNN yeah, and everywhere, that, that show, you know? Sense. That was an awesome. Yeah, that was that was quite a sh- that was quite of a, a going away service for our queen of soul. Fitting for the queen of soul, Aretha Franklin. You know, yes, no question yes. about it, no doubt about it. Now, when we talked about working with the Four Tops, that brings me to mm. one of your projects that I always that I always liked, Drew, was your back to class project to benefit Detroit public schools. And I know you did a couple of recordings with the Four Tops. I Want to tell our listeners about that project?
1: Yes, yeah. So I was actually, the kind of pun behind the name is I was getting ready to go back and finish my own college degree when I released that album. And so I was literally going back to class. Um, But it was also giving back to the Detroit public schools. 50% of the profits from those recordings go to the DPS music programs here in Detroit. Um, And there was also this kind of gimmicky joke of trying to go back to classic soul music. And I wrote and arranged everything on the record played a lot of drums and keys and sang some background vocals and had guests performing the songs and so yes uh, the four tops were on two james jamerson jr dennis Coffey, um quite a few of the names who i mentioned before melvin pat uh spider rob carter um and i am currently slowly but surely working on the second volume of that project and um hoping to have that
0: Finally wrapped up and released mm-hmm. within the year, if I can make it happen. Now, <laughs> the Back to Class featured a lot of Motel acts. I know one of the songs I liked on that was Crying in the Whisper, you recorded with the Four Tops. Oh, thank you. That's a great song. Spike's singing lead on that, isn't he? Yes,
1: yep. Spike, uh, DeLon,
0: DeLeon, mm-hmm. Harold
1: Bonner, um, uh, he was with the Spinners before the right. Four Tops. And mm-hmm. He's singing lead on that. And, you know, Spike was able to get that kind of real deep, rich resonance within his singing that was similar to Levi Stubbs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think Spike it was a higher vocal range than mm-hmm. Levi, mm-hmm. but still had that very rich, full voice. Mm-hmm. And um, the current Four Tops lead singer, Alexander Morris, Alex is on the next Back to Class
2: album as well. Okay. And,
1: I mean, he is just, uh, uh, anybody who's ever been in the Four Tops,
0: just mm-hmm. amazing vocalists, mm-hmm. no matter who they mm-hmm. are. You know. but, I, but i like uh, that c- i'm gonna like that. i'm gonna play that song brother that crying in a whisper i gotta play that one and that you recorded with the four oh, tops because I, I really like that one I, I like the sound of the record I, I like the you did you wrote the song right
1: i did yeah i did i i wrote the song after literally crying so hard that like you couldn't get a sound out of your voice um which is weird. <laughs> I'm not gonna name any names but i was i was heartbroken for a minute there <laughs> gotcha you know as a songwriter the, the gimmick of that song was using opposites within the lyrics so it's crying in a whisper yelling out loud talking to myself in the middle of a crowd so you have that kind of back and forth of the opposites it's running around in circles because i don't know where we stand so you have running and standing and then pacing like a little boy who wants to be your man so it's like the the whole joke about that as a songwriter from the standpoint of lyric devices was using opposites To convey
0: that message. Well, we're going to take a listen to that song, "Crying a Whisper" from the Four Tops, written by our special guest, Mr. Drew Schultz, on the R&B Showcase. Tim Marshall on the R&B Showcase, taking you over, under, and through the decades. A very special guest, is a recording artist, musician, producer. And composer, Mr. Drew Schultz. He's got a lot of great projects. He's got some new projects. We're talking about some of his classic things he's been doing. And we just listened to a track called Crying in the Whisper from the fabulous Four Tops. And uh, that is part of his Back to Class. And Drew, you mentioned you have another Back to Class album coming out. Is that going to be Motown or are you going to go another direction?
1: You know, the second one is going to be a pretty wide-ranging album. It's got quite a bit of songs that sound like that throwback Motown vibe, but there's some straight-ahead jazz on there. There's some almost Frank Sinatra-style ballads from a gentleman named Tommy Good who was signed to Motown back in the day. Um, it it, uh, it runs, the, runs the spectrum. The next one is going to be a diverse collection of tunes.
0: Mm. Now, talking about Motown... Can you describe what is it like being at that historic and legendary Motown Records Museum?
1: Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate for several years to be the educational program director for the Motown Museum, and anytime anyone is in Detroit, I encourage them to go and see that museum, because it is unreal to think of how much barrier-breaking, world-class still relevant music came out of one little house in a neighborhood in Detroit and people these days, you know, we're talking about the DIY independent music scene and how you can do so much music in your home. You know, Billie Eilish just did her hit song on a laptop in her bedroom. I just feel like Motown was the original DIY record label. I mean, it was a house and they ran everything out of there from the, the songwriting, the production, the, uh, you know, recording with the musicians and the vocalists, sometimes strings and horns. They had management and booking and A&R and marketing. And it was just all these different gears that turned within a record label happening in a house in Detroit. It's just, it's, I I can't even imagine what that must've been like to be a part of that world during that time. And, Yet some of that excitement and magic, to me, still lives in that space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the talent never left Detroit. And so it's always wonderful to see the Motown Museum bring their younger students from their summer camps or participants in their music programs around Detroit into that studio to perform. And every time we got to see that happen, it was just electric. And part of that is just that spirit of what happened on that wooden floor in that studio in that house mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's amazing yeah that
0: was it like studio b or something that they call it or studio a studio so i b?
1: believe yeah studio a was the main studio in the house okay uh, but motown did use several other studios around town there was studio b there was a studio called Golden World. Okay. Uh, obviously, United Sound. So Motown recorded. You know, they had quite a few different studio operations. Mm-hmm. But the the flagship studio <laughs> was that house. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Studio A, the Snake Pit,
0: they mm-hmm. called it. Is it? Is two floors? Isn't it? Isn't it upper upper? Is it upper level to it or?
1: There is an upper level, um, and that is actually where Barry
0: Gordy lived. Is there? unbelievable. You yeah. know, uh, upstairs and.
1: You get to walk through the bedroom and see the kitchenette, and yeah, mm. it's just the shortest commute ever. Walk right downstairs to work.
0: Mm. I can imagine that, that the excitement and the energy that must have been in that room just today. But even imagine being back in the '60s when they first started making this music. I mean, so much history in that one you know one house that impacted the entire world musically. You know.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, Detroit was just a hotbed of independent music talent. Again, before Spotify, before Tidal, before iTunes and Amazon and Apple Music, now anybody can record anything and put it out to the world. Mm -hmm. But Motown was was kind of paving the way for independent record labels to to break through before any of that technology allowed the average person to do
0: it. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't the Motown Museum doing some expansions, uh, expansion project now?
1: They are, yes yeah i mean it's it's kind of beyond my scope to to know the specifics okay but i do know that they have plans to expand and to build around that house
2: Mm -hmm. and to add more interactive
1: expansive exhibits and have a performance space and have educational uh programs on site because it used to be that that the museum was so small Mm -hmm. we had to do a lot of our educational programs off-site um so yes you're right yeah they will be expanding and um I can't wait to see what
0: it becomes. That should be exciting. So how far are you from you're out you are you in Detroit or you outside of Detroit now, uh, Drew?
1: Um, I so I work in Detroit. The music oh, school okay. of Dime is right downtown. I'm Motown. You Capitol Park. Wow. Yeah. So I'm calling you from from right downtown in Detroit. That's awesome. I live in a city called Clawson, mm-hmm. which is a couple miles outside of the city mm-hmm. and you know, they they call it Metro Detroit because it's there's so much here mm-hmm. and you know, Detroit is one of the largest surface area cities mm-hmm. in the entire country, um, and there's just a
2: massive amount of you know not just talent but independent businesses mm-hmm. and restaurants and record stores and uh,
1: media companies and it, you know Detroit is just is awesome mm-hmm. and I have missed being surrounded by that energy
0: mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. it's been really been very different now a lot of the artists are still in detroit isn't, isn't the, I know the ruffin family still there and they have a david ruffin uh street named after him and everything
1: yes yeah david uh david ruffin's daughter cheryl is cheryl. here mm-hmm. um the spinners are here mm-hmm. three of the four tops are here and alex spends quite a bit of time in detroit
0: um uh, dennis Coffey from the funk brothers is here mm-hmm. um
1: uh, almost all those artists who I
0: mentioned um, mm-hmm. on the Class Now, is Catherine, is she still in, well? she's, I guess she'd be in Catherine Anderson. She's probably in Inkster, Michigan, right? Isn't she? From the Marvelettes. Catherine from the Marvelettes. Is she still in that area?
1: Oh, yeah, she's here. Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. In fact, I, I, my apologies, Catherine. I forgot to mention that I, I had been playing and doing some work with them as well before the
0: pandemic. Yeah, Magic. yes. They have a new group of Marvelettes. She yeah. has a new group together now. That's that's awesome. I do,
1: yes. They're wonderful, and they... They sound great. It's it's pretty amazing. And Catherine will come on stage and sing with them and, and join them on stage. And she's really, you know, it's my opinion that it's such a beautiful thing to think about your artwork continuing to mm. influence people and to be out there. Mm. And, you know, I, I think about people like Levi Stubbs from The Four Tops where, mm. You know, Levi went through health challenges and for quite a, a while could not perform with the group. Mm-hmm. And, but still to see your artwork taken on the road and performed in front of people, even with different faces, it's still an extension of that artist and that person. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's great to see Catherine be able to get out there and and, and feel that love and see her flowers while she's here. And have her music still performed for people who love it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's got to be such a great feeling. Absolutely, you know? I'm I'm glad that they're keeping it going. And the Marvelettes recorded some great tunes. I mean, "Don't Mess with Bill" was always a favorite. Of course, I think they got a gold record. In later days, they finally got their gold record for that for that song.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they they had so many. Just just please, Mister Postman. Mm-hmm. Even that is just like to think about how how many walls that knocked down for artists in the industry. Um, you know, the Marvelettes are, uh, are barrier breakers. They, they paved the way for a lot of people.
0: That was the first number one record opened up the doors for Motown. Tim Marshall, the R and B showcase coming at you from the heart and soul of Philadelphia, taking you through the decades. And of course we have a special guest online who's Drew Schultz. He is a independent recording artist musician producer composer and a fantastic drummer and percussionist and we're talking to him today and he's sharing information on all of his projects and talking about motown and the history of motown you got a chance to actually do some producing at motown working with uh, harry weinger tell us about this experience drew
1: yeah so i was a pre-production engineering intern for universal motown records while i was in college um, so Harry Weinger is the uh, VP of a and R. and a and R is typically thought of as the division of a record label that signs new talent and kind of oversees their projects uh, from inception to completion and and you know, helps choose the order of songs. And if a, if an artist doesn't write their own songs, might help field songs for that artist and pair them for the right, you know the the right songs for the right voice and help with deciding the album artwork in which photos make it onto the cover of an album. And so Harry's job was, and is, to do that with a lot of the catalog material that Universal represents, including the Motown catalog. Mm -hmm. So when you get a box set of Motown songs, uh, of a Motown artist, or a new release of something that was recorded back in the day but never put out there, like they did the Marvin Gaye, you're the Man album recently mm-hmm. you know Harry is overseeing that whole process mm-hmm. and he came and spoke at a class at NYU when mm-hmm. I was taking classes there and I remember chasing him down the hallway trying to talk to
2: him because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like this guy's name has
1: been on every st-
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was you know in middle school right. and um I was just like, I want to work with you. What can I do? And he's like, Well, oh, come on by the offices. And so I went over to the Motown offices in New York, and he played me a live version of Stand By Me
2: mm-hmm. that the
1: Funk Brothers had recorded. Wow! So it was James Jamerson, Uriel Jones, Earl Van Dyke, Eddie Bongo Brown, uh, I think it was uh, George Saxophone Benson
2: mm-hmm.
1: on tenor sax, okay. and uh, Robert White it could have been Eddie Willis on second guitar. I think there's two guitars on there,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I just remember like my, you know, getting goosebumps sitting in this office, listening to this live recording of the Funk Brothers that I didn't even know existed. This was before you had some real deep, uh, internet cataloging of albums like discogs.com or AllMusic, And so, you know, he, he was kind of playing songs and saying, Oh, so who's this? Do you know who this is? and, and, he could tell that i loved the music so he offered me this internship and my job was to go into a small mixing studio room mm-hmm. and mix tons of unreleased motown songs from throughout the years to be considered for release on new projects or as bonus tracks on box sets or you know whatever it might have been and i don't even know how many songs i did mixes of mm-hmm. um but the idea was I would mix them and then kind of kick them back up the pipeline to the people who were deciding, like, oh, we're putting out this project. Let's release this bonus track on the, the new version of it. Um, and it was a dream job.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it was still, to this day, one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. I know they have a lot of stuff that's still in the vault. It's amazing how much they actually recorded in Motown, the artists. And when you speak to the artists, a lot of them don't remember some of the stuff that they recorded, you know, with so much material at that time.
1: I can't imagine, that studio must have been in operation 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. It was just the pure volume, even the volume of actually released material. And then, like you said, all the stuff that did not see the light of day Mm -hmm. at that time, it's just endless. And when Michael Jackson passed away, they redirected me to mixed versions of a lot of the Jackson 5 unreleased Mm -hmm. material to see what was there. And it was just funny because for, like, several years, they were releasing Jackson 5 archival projects. And I am grateful to Harry Weinger, um, and Andy Sturrow as well at Motown um, because they would still credit me as pre-production engineer. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know, I only did the internship for maybe a year and a half and then came back and did it a little bit more when I got back to New York to finish my degree but it was like, then for five years after that, I would keep getting these little notes from people, and they're like, hey, I saw your name in this project. Mm-hmm. sure enough, one of those tracks I released was part of the project, so they would credit me as pre-production engineer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the Motown crew is just the nicest group of people. They care so much about that music, mm-hmm. and I will forever be grateful to Harry Wanker for giving me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, Motown and Detroit is definitely a music town. And there's so many of people that are trying to keep this legacy of Motown and R&B alive. And then being in Detroit, you had to run into Lamont Robinson uh, from the R&B Hall of Fame. Yes, showboat. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, like I said, they're all trying to, to try and it's, it's great that they're keeping this music out there and keeping it alive for the next generation. And the fact that a young person like yourself is helping to move that forward, I think it's a really great thing.
1: I mean, I I appreciate Lamont Robinson's vision for the R&B Hall of Fame. I agree that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland is a wonderful institution. And they, you know, as controversial as they are with who should be in and who gets in and who's not in, you know, they are inclusive, and rock and roll is a is a large umbrella. Mm-hmm. You know, Little Richard is rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I feel like the umbrella is not big enough. I feel mm-hmm. like there should be a museum for not just R&B and soul music, and, and I, I agree there should be that as well, but there should be an American music history museum. Mm-hmm. I don't see why... We shouldn't have people like the Marvelettes in a museum right alongside people like, you know, George and Ira Gershwin Mm -hmm. or, you know, American music in general has such a deep history that can never be covered by just one institution. And even the Motown Museum, you know, I love the Motown Museum, but they are a testament to a record label, Mm -hmm. not an entire genre of music. Right. And so... Yeah, there's just, there's so much history. It's, um, I feel like no one thing can ever cover it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's okay. That's why there should be more
0: things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong (laughs) with that. The more we can do to keep it out there, the better, you know, the more the merrier. And that's a great thing. So getting back to our Motown, um, you were part of that more recent Hitsville documentary, The Making of Motown. Tell us about that project, Drew.
1: Yes. So... You know, just like Harry and Andy at Motown being so kind to me, um, there was a uh, one of the collaborators on the Hitsville documentary, Pip, contacted me, and I was just kind of a conduit for that documentary to connect with some of the talent who they interviewed, and I connected them with a couple different venues where they recorded the interviews. So when you see Robin Terry, the CEO from the Motown Museum, and uh duke from the four tops duke fakir they're being interviewed at the college where i teach at
0: oh wow that's awesome
1: and um so it was one of those things again where they were so kind and i was grateful that they gave me a special thanks shout out in the credits and i was able to attend the detroit screening with a bunch of the motown alumni um But all I really did was say, yeah, here's so-and-so's number, and yeah, you can use this, you know, come on, use this space to
2: film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So my actual role was very uh, minuscule, but uh, just proud to be a part of it in any way.
0: Mm, That's a great thing. And I really like the fact that they're putting these documentaries out there. In fact, did you get a chance to see Summer of Soul? That's another one that's that's, that's been put out. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Did you see it yet? Yes. I did. Oh, I did.
1: I did, and same thing like we were talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as the, the, the wide umbrella and how much can you cover in one thing? That movie is so amazing. And and I'm selfish. I feel I feel almost guilty because I walked away from it like, yeah, but where's the rest? I want to mm-hmm. see Chuck Jackson. Mm-hmm. I want to see Blinky. Mm-hmm. I want to see, uh, you know, David Ruffin's full set. I, it's like, I can't imagine how much material they had from that festival and all these different artists who performed, but they only had one movie's length of time to, to show it. Mm-hmm. So I, I selfishly hope that there's an outlet for all that material to, to be heard and seen. But I'm grateful we got any of it, because it, it was unbelievable.
0: When you talked about David Ruffin, I saw some of the clips. I said, man, I would, he looks unbelievable. I said, I, I would like to see that whole concert. Do you know what song he sang in the movie?
1: I know he's saying "My Girl" in the movie. Okay, uh, there is an, a there is a news article about the festival from when it actually occurred mm-hmm. in a newspaper that mentions uh, David Ruffin also singing "My Whole World Ended."
0: I would love and to that see song that song
1: was relatively new at mm-hmm. that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I imagine he he sang that one as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, probably a few, others, you know? probably a, a few others. You know, he probably did a few others in that in you. that set. That sounds like a making of a part two for that, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, I will be first in line. They can have all of my money. Mm -hmm. I will be first in line when they release the full box set Mm -hmm. of the entire festival. Um, And hopefully that's something that can happen.
0: Mm -hmm. But um,
1: I would love to see all the stuff that
0: didn't make it into the movie too, mm. you know? Just watching those clips kind of makes you, wow. I mean, just, I'd love to have been there for that. And just, ima- and, and, and it's, it's, amazing that we haven't heard about this festival in all these years, you know?
1: Definitely. And you know, David Ruffin was such a huge part of the Temptations, mm-hmm. but I feel like it wasn't until his solo material that he really got to shine and, and, flex some of the vocal techniques
2: Mm -hmm. that
1: might have been considered a little bit too out there Mm -hmm. for what Motown's commercial aims were at Mm -hmm. that time. Again, I can't speak for
2: anybody, Mm -hmm.
1: but if you go and listen to his solo material, he does things with his voice that he never
2: did with The Temptations. Mm -hmm. And his range, his ability to
1: get different timbre and tonality Mm -hmm. from his voice, I still think that David Ruffin is one of the most technically impressive vocalist I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I would suggest for anybody to go and check out his rendition of uh, I Want You Back, the mm-hmm. Jackson 5 tune. Mm-hmm. It's just jaw-dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, when I was at Motown, one of the things that we did, they were doing some research for a project of Four Tops material from the 80s when the Four Tops returned to the Motown label. And they pulled out this tape and transferred it, and they were going to have me a mix of it
2: Mm -hmm. but the tape
1: was mislabeled it was not an 80s four tops tape so i loaded it up expecting to hear 1980s drum machines and synthesizers and that kind of 80s sound
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and it was 19 probably late 60s early 70s very clearly and audibly the funk brothers detroit no drum machines no synthesizers and david ruffin singing Mm. lead. And it it had been mislabeled as a Four Tops tape, you know, who knows when, how long ago. And it was a song that was intended for the David Ruffin and Jimmy Ruffin duet album, but Mm -hmm. Jimmy never got his vocals on it. Mm -hmm. And it was called In the Cool of the Night. Mm -hmm. And to this day, as one of my favorite Mm -hmm. songs that I've heard from Motown. Just unbelievable. And they finally released it on the Cellarful of Motown uh, Volume Mm 4 project. But um, man, you know, just unbelievable tune written um and produced by a couple here in detroit a husband and wife team uh norma uh tony and al kent okay. and al we just lost al sadly mm-hmm. but he was another one of those guys who was here in detroit
2: mm-hmm. just
1: so much talent still here you mm-hmm. know? and yeah in the cool of the night it's worth it's worth finding it's it's amazing
0: well, David was always one of the great song interpreters. I mean, his interpretation of Rainy Night in Georgia and If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. Have you heard those tracks, man? I mean, he just bangs them out. You yes. Know? You know, that's just, yes. what a talent he was, you know, David. And uh, I'm now in recent years, they're starting to be more celebrated, which is a good thing. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, talk about someone.
1: I feel like David Ruffin could sing... Twinkle, twinkle, little star, and make you feel mm-hmm. it in a different way than mm-hmm. anybody else could. It didn't mm-hmm. matter what he was singing; he could get that emotion across. And um, you know, I just—I have endless respect for vocalists who are able to to take any type of material and just embody
0: the story behind mm-hmm. it. Aretha does that well too, you know, with her renditions of some of the Beatles songs and things. She's one of those song interpreters that can take a song and just totally make it different. I mean, look at what she did with Otis Redding's Respect, you know, made it a national an- an anthem, you know, for for empowerment.
1: Absolutely. and I think that's one of the things that we're kind of missing today. Mm-hmm. There's a large um, scene of independent artists who will do covers of other people's songs on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So you can go and find tons of Artists. There's bands like uh, Scary Pockets that do funk covers, like funk styled covers of pop songs and different genres and rock songs. There's um, oh Scott Bradley and Postmodern Jukebox that do like big band jazz arrangements and almost like 1920s and 30s style jazz crooner versions mm-hmm. of contemporary pop songs. But you know, back in that era of Aretha and attempts, music was. I feel like music was on its way to becoming integrated. There was still so much segregation mm-hmm. of the charts, segregation of what would be played on the radio, what would be played, you know, put in a record store, and where. And as music began began to be integrated, there was a lot of conscious cross pollination. Mm-hmm. So you had, you know, a lot of the Motown artists playing the Copacabana, mm-hmm. singing jazz tunes, mm-hmm. but then you also had. You know, Tony Bennett doing For Once in My Life. Mm-hmm. And you had James Taylor doing How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and I just feel like we've lost this cross pollination. You don't seem to find artists like um, Justin Timberlake covering some other contemporary artist who's big today mm-hmm. the way you did. In the sixties and seventies, and I think part of that is because a lot of those barriers are already broken down. So mm-hmm. now artists are like, "I'm I'm making my own statement," mm-hmm. um, as opposed to saying, "I'm going to try and reach across that that gap and bridge that gap by singing somebody else's material my way." Um, you know, I you hear it less and less. Taylor Swift did mm-hmm. a cover of "September" by Earth, Wind and Fire. Okay, and I feel kind of bad for her because a lot of people just ragged on her. It, it was very different than mm-hmm. the Earth, Wind, and Fire rendition. Mm-hmm. But my opinion is if more young Taylor Swift fans look up and say, oh, I should go and learn more about Earth, Wind, and Fire mm-hmm. because Taylor Swift covered that song, mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. even if musically it's so different from Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, I, I, I don't know. And like you're saying, with Aretha Franklin covering The Weight
2: mm-hmm. by the
1: band. Yes. Or Bobby Womack covering Fire and Rain by mm-hmm. James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um hmm
2: Or it's funny, for a long time when I was a kid,
1: I thought that Sweet Caroline was a Bobby Womack song. <laughs> I had never heard the original, mm-hmm. and I had the Bobby Womack version. Mm-hmm. And... Somebody, I, I was playing in some cover band and somebody said, oh, I hate Sweet Caroline. And I'm like, how can you hate Sweet Caroline? It's Bobby Womack. And they were like, no, it's
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> and for years, I didn't know that it was not his song. It's one of so, those songs that he played every I wedding, you, you know. I feel like we're missing that. <laughs> well, speaking of artists today, you mentioned a few. Who are some of the artists that you admire that are out there today, the newer artists, that are pop artists I, today?
1: Yeah, I love Leon Bridges. Okay. Um, you know, Leon Bridges came out and he was kind of championed as this Sam Cooke kind of classic soul uh, throwback artist. And his first album's great, but his second album, he came out and kind of pushed back against that. And he was like, I don't want to just be the tro- throwback reminds you of back in the day. His second album is unbelievable. Um, and it's got some productions by Pharrell, and he just put out a third album. Um and I, I love Leon Bridges. Mm-hmm. I really like Mayor Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. He's out of Detroit. And same thing, has done quite a bit of throwback soul, but also gotten into some of the contemporary um, production and, and way more than just 60. I always joke that her songs are not meant to resonate with my life experience, mm-hmm. but I love her her just raw ability as a vocalist is jasmine sullivan she
2: oh yes so
1: such an amazing singer it's jaw-dropping
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know i love silk sonic with "Leave the door open mm-hmm. and a lot of bruno mars and stuff and his mm.
0: pack wolf pack um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff out there you know there's, mm-hmm. you mentioned one of my favorites right uh, there i like that silk sonic i'm hoping that that'll influence some of the Artists to start doing some vocal stuff, you know. I love the vocal group uh, vibe they got with that song. That uh, leave it, leave the door open, you know. Yes, yes, and I feel like for so
1: long it seems like there was a trend in pop music that lead vocals were very smooth, like mm-hmm. very, um, very precise. A lot of like just super clean, super clear vocal tone. Tons of really precise runs and all and. That's all well and good, but sometimes I miss hearing that grit in that forceful delivery. Mm-hmm. And Bruno Mars,
0: he's got you know, it. delivers that quite he does. a bit. He really got it, you know. as,
1: you know, as does Jasmine Sullivan. Mm-hmm. As does like Brittany Howard. Mm-hmm. The, she was with the Alabama Shakes for a while. She's got some great stuff out. Eli Paperboy Reed mm-hmm. is amazing. You know, it, it's just funny. Like I, I am. As much as I love old school,
0: classic soul music, I am not one of those people who believes that there's no good music out there these days. You know, there's so much good music Mm -hmm. out there. You just got to get it out. Well, I know one person that's making some good music, and he's a new artist, and that's Mr. Drew Schultz. So why don't you tell us about your current (laughs) projects, Drew?
1: Thank you. Yeah, so I, you know, the Back to Class project was my introduction as a recording artist, even though I was approaching it more like the Quincy Jones thing. You know, Quincy did quite a few albums where he arranged and produced songs with really heavy hitting vocalists on them you know ray charles and stevie wonder and and he's Quincy jones you know so i was like I, i wanted to try and do that and be the the producer arranger you know instrumentalist spearhead of the whole thing but i've never really released anything that was with my voice and so um the most recent release that i have out is a single and it is a cover. As much as I love writing songs and will forever be a songwriter, sometimes there are just songs by other people that resonate with us. And during the pandemic, there was a box set that I was listening to a lot called um, uh, "Take Me to the River," and it was a box set about Southern soul mm-hmm. from Memphis and from you know Texas, Alabama, all the, all the Southern regions of the states. That was. It has some Stax records on it, but a lot of Fame studio recording, a lot of Muscle Shoals, a lot of, um, you know, the Memphis High records, and some uh, Kent records from, uh, I think Kent was, I might be wrong, don't quote me on this, I think Kent was out of California, but had a lot of Southern artists, mm-hmm. and there was a gentleman named Clay Hammond.
2: Mm-hmm. Alfred And so on. the
1: song that I'm, yeah, so the song that I'm, I, I just released is a cover of a clay hammond song that he wrote and sang but it was just one of these songs where every morning when i was getting up and getting ready to 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 teach on zoom or whatever because it was during the pandemic i found myself singing this song and finally my wife lindsay was like you're singing the song all the time maybe you should just do it and and so i was like you know what i'm gonna do it i'm gonna record the song but not try and make it sound like clay hammond for the first time, I'm going to try and make it sound like whatever I sound like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the song is called I'll Make It Up To You, originally written and recorded by Mr. Clay
0: Hammond. On the R&B Showcase. Tim Marshall on the R&B Showcase is, took a listen to the latest single from Mr. Drew Schultz. Now, Drew, tell us, you got an album coming out uh, with this track? You know, this is just a one-off single, but if people like it enough, I would be honored uh, to work on
1: a full <laughs> album with me as, as the vocalist. Um my next album will be the second volume of the Back to Class series uh, with the uh, 50% of the profits benefiting the Detroit Public Schools music programs with special guests including the Four Tops, Joe Messina and Eddie Willis from the Funk Brothers, uh, Tommy Good, Harrison Kennedy from Chairman of the Board, Carolyn Crawford, Pat Lewis, uh, Yvonne Vernie from the Elgins, Thornetta Davis, Buddy Smith, Spider Turner, Ronnie McNear, Melvin Davis, Um, I am so sorry for forgetting anybody, but it's going to be a great record with a wonderful guest list of my own heroes. And so keep an eye and an ear out for that in the future.
0: What studio are you recording out of, uh, Drew, for that uh, that project?
1: I own my own home studio, and so I'm recording most of it just myself
0: Mm -hmm. in my house. That's a great thing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. They so get all the artists coming to your house. <laughs> it's like a Motown. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah.
1: You get them on, they'll roll your eyes about how many times I'm like, please come to my basement and sing into this microphone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got your own Motown happening yeah, there. He, huh? it, it, uh, exactly. A little bit of Motown. And there it works go. out well. You That's played great... Crying in a
1: Whisper with the Four Tops earlier. Yeah. That was recorded in a garage. You've got to be kidding Huns, me. Michigan. That's unbelievable. And uh, I'll Make It Up To You was recorded in my basement studio. That was mm-hmm. the first song that I actually uh, recorded and completed in the new home studio when my wife and I bought our
0: house during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's a great so thing that, 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 that the s- artists are willing to come out and just, and, and just uh, throw down some vocals and, and, and musicians and things and to support this project. These are all for very good causes, you know, to support the Detroit uh, Public School System's music program. It's a great thing.
1: Thank you. You know, I, I really believe that music teaches us teamwork it teaches us communication it teaches us uh expression and individualism while also working towards a greater objective which is playing the song well as a group and so i think music education is invaluable um and uh I'll get off my soapbox. But thank you so much.
0: That's Drew, It's no problem, brother. I applaud you for the work that you're doing and the fact that you're giving back to the community and the fact that you're a young person and you're helping to keep this legacy and this music alive. And that's a beautiful thing, man. I just thank you.
1: Thank you. And Tim, thank you so much for having me. And thank you to
2: 1065FM.